0: Hola, Joshua Smeiser de Leon here, founder and host of the Paseo Podcast. Thanks for listening to the show where we highlight stories by, from, and about the Puerto Rican community from La Isla to the diaspora. If you want to help us share the diverse and vibrant stories that make up the Puerto Rican communities here on Paseo Boricua and Chicago and around the world, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream your podcasts. Subscribing helps more people find the show and will help you make sure you never miss an episode. Leaving a five star rating and showing some love in the comments helps too. You can also give a donation by looking up the Basel podcast on SaveChicagomedia.org. Okay, that's enough from me. Enjoy the show. bienvenidos to the paseo podcast i am your host joshua smizer de leon and today we are joined by puerto rican author javier hernandez he was born in rio piedras puerto rico and is a father author artist linguist entrepreneur, pro-sovereignty advocate, and indigenous rights activist. He has two books out that caught my attention, and I hope they catch your attention too. Their names are Puerto Rico, The Economic Case for Sovereignty, which the English version just dropped, but there's also a Spanish version. And uh, the other book is Prexit, Forging Puerto Rico's Path to Sovereignty. Again, both in english and in spanish so on today's show we're going to focus more on the concepts and proposals that javier maps out in the former Longtime listeners know that i am no stranger to having discussions on puerto rico's status on this show and to having guests on that have different viewpoints on what that status should be now we've had people on the show that are pro commonwealth pro statehood Pro independence. And as a Boricua in the diaspora personally, I think having these discussions is critical to challenging us on the way we think about Puerto Rico's relationship with the United States, as well as strengthens our critical thinking skills as it relates to Puerto Rico's status and its future. That's why we have Javier here, because as you can tell from his book titles, Javier is pro independence, and I'm very excited to welcome him on today to discuss his viewpoints and perspectives. Um, So, to anyone who is anti-independence for puerto rico we're not here to bash you but i do want you to lean into this discussion and of course reach out to the show at paseo podcast on any of our social media channels with your feedback with all that said javier welcome to the paseo podcast how are you doing today
1: doing very well very well thank you joshua thank you for inviting me on the show and i'm really happy to be here so you're born in puerto rico growing up in the
0: united states um you mentioned, uh, you know, kind of having that awakening moment uh, that that really shifted your perspective on what Puerto Rico status should be. Um, so looking at all the stuff you've written, I mean, what in what really was that moment that inspired you to start writing about Puerto Rico?
1: Yeah. So when I first realized anything, I mean, I, as a kid, I would always go back to Puerto Rico for vacations or or, or pretty much almost every summer. As a kid, I was in Puerto Rico, in, in San Juan, or in El Campo. And so I, I always had that connection that was always there. But in terms of status or anything political, I was so ignorant. Like, my, my no one, no, no, my parents didn't tell me anything about it. My, no uncles, aunts. It was like just a taboo subject you just don't talk about, you know? And then, um then one day, uh my uncle came back. And from, uh, I guess, like a march or a la marcha or whatever. And he had the flag of the Independence Party and the Puerto Rican flag. And I was like, wow, what, what's that? And he was like, oh, I was at a march. For what? Oh, for independence. I'm like, what? Like, what are you?" And um, mind you, I was like eight or nine years old, right? Mm-hmm. And he explained to me briefly, kind of like, the, the, you know, Puerto Rico, the colony, da, da. And it was the first time I realized that. <laughs> it was like a... Almost like I I, I kind of, you know, like in The Matrix when Neil wakes up <laughs> from that capsule.
0: Yep. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> just what, like the, what the hell? Real,
1: this is reality? I didn't know yeah. this. Oh, crap. Yeah. That's like, exactly. You, you wake up and you're like, oh, my God, this is for real? This is not fake? I, and it was a shock to me because growing up in the U.S., going to American schools, independence is taught as that's the best, that's the best, you know, you can get to as a nation. I mean, everyone wants their independence. Everyone fights against colonialism. That—that's basic. You, every American student gets that. And I went to American school, and then I come to Puerto Rico, and then I'm now in no, notified that this is what's going on, and it's shocking, you know. So that stayed with me for a few years, and then when I was in high school, I finally had the wherewithal to educate myself more on the subject, and. So I had a yeah I just read read a lot of books about Puerto Rico history books yeah you know, I just went to the library got as many books as I could and just from that I th- I felt like I just I gravitated more to the pro independence mm-hmm. philosophy or, or ideology or or sentiment just being you know because growing up in the U.S. I know how a lot of Americans treat or view Puerto Ricans you know where are we're, we're minorities um there's a lot of negative connotations so i see how they look at us cuz i lived it mm. and then seeing how they do that in puerto rico and i just thought that that, that was wrong you know yeah and um and then well i mean we many people the,
0: don't even realize that puerto rico is owned by the united states
1: that exactly it, they don't even know yeah. if it,
0: that it's a colony
1: <laughs> no have no yeah, idea yeah. and i remember in school in high school there were there were times where it was discussed it was or, or uh, it was kind of brought up Briefly in history class, mm-hmm. and I would be the I would be the bon boricuano in the class. that would raise my hand and try to get more the teacher to express mm-hmm. more information. You know, Good. not one paragraph, but yeah. you know, yeah. And I got in trouble. They, they, they would be like, um, her, her Javier, please go to the principal's office. I don't I don't need some of the, I don't need this this information. I don't mm. we don't we don't care. Wow. I mean, and all they would teach in the classes. Is um yeah, the US uh, invaded Puerto Rico in the Spanish American War, and and now in 1950, blah, blah blah they were Commonwealth and now they're happy. Next, that right. was it. That yeah. was all that was, and then I'm I'm in the classroom Same. trying to talk about the Ponce massacre <laughs> and <laughs> and the Rio Pedras massacre mm. and, and Blanton winship and all this other mm. stuff. And they don't they the, the American teachers did not want to hear it. You know, so being so having that experience. I'm like I don't want this for Puerto Rico, you know. So I already had that that distinction. I knew I was different. I'm Puerto Rican. and that's it. There's no, you know, like oh I'm I'm an American of Puerto Rican descent. That that just did, that just didn't fit in my head. Mm-hmm. That that notion. So then yeah. So then in college I got I just educated myself more on the subject. By high school I was very very already adamant pro pro sovereignty pro independence. Um, when you learn about Albizu Betances and all these other, you know, Blanca Canales, all these other patriots, and you see their life, it inspires you because because sometimes as a and you grow up in the diaspora, you don't you don't get a lot of Puerto Rican uh, uh, role models that are amazing people. It's always sometimes it's very negative, or oh look at that that criminal over there in TV. You get a lot of this. It's either you're a drug dealer or you're a mafia or you're a gang banger guy. But then when you read about Albizu and Metances, and all this other stuff, you see, like, wow, Boricuas can get to that level? That's great, because no one has no one told me this. No one, not even family, yeah. <laughs> told me this. Or you know.
0: Yeah. If we could just kind of shift gears a little bit to your, your second book that that's out, uh, Puerto Rico, the economic case for sovereignty. Um, I thought it might be good to give people kind of like a baseline understanding of some of the research that you've done to, to assemble your book and your other writings. Like what, what are, from what you found and researched, what are economists and other experts saying about the Puerto Rican economy as it stands today?
1: Great question. Well, to, to even get to, to, to even begin to answer that question, that, or why the, even the book for this mm. is, I've read so many books about Puerto Rico and independence and history, and never have I found a book that explains how Puerto Rico could or would function under sovereignty, under any form of sovereignty at all. It it, it was just always, yeah, you know, independence, it's, you know, we need it, it's a human right, yeah, we got that, but then how do you economically, because that's always the big argument. A lot of anti-independence people point out, oh, Puerto Rico's too small, or Puerto Rico can't survive without the US economically, and that's how they shut down the independence conversation. So, and, and and I know that that's not true, but there was, I couldn't find a book. Mm-hmm. So I did it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I did the research. It took a few years to get all the information. Um, but, and, and all the information is is not, you know, some secret private study. It's everything is public domain. You could find this stuff on the internet, but it but a lot of information, then you have to, you have to extrapolate some information from it. Like there's the data, and then you have to get the information from it and interpret it. So, so what a lot of economists say about Puerto Rico today, and this is my criticism, is they only focus on the colony. They only focus now and in the past, but but then if it comes to discussing the future, they they they, they freeze up or or don't know what to say or they don't want to you know, burn any bridges academically with their jobs, whatever. So I'm not tied to that. And I'm getting a lot of debate. A lot of people are very excited for the book. They're very happy. There are people who are like, finally, yes, we have the information for, you know, this is what we've been waiting for. Thank you. So, but there are other people, usually a lot of the pro statehood people who are angry at me for coming up with this. <laughs> Yeah. because it destroys the narrative that Puerto Rico can't survive on its own. So so I, I am getting some flack for that from that th- those people. but I I, I tend to just um, ignore that criticism. so and I just focus on, on the, the people who are really just really happy to get the information they want to get more information. Um, sometimes you even get some people who are pro statehood, but as soon as they and this is what I love, once they read the information or get that knowledge, now they're open to independence, and that's what. I, those are the people I'm trying to reach. I'm not, I'm not trying to reach the really the independent supporter who's already pro independent I'm trying to reach the people who are, you know, pro commonwealth, pro statehood They they would they think independence is a great idea, but then they think that oh no, but we can't do it economically, so I'll just stick to statehood. But then when they get the information that yes, we can, and 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 I'm not talking about barely skimming by economically. I'm talking about like 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 Puerto Rico could become an economic powerhouse in the Caribbean. You know, like a major economic economy, the biggest market in the Caribbean. We can do that. You know, then and then we see all the proposals in the book, people it it opens up the imagination that Puerto Rico can do more. And that's mm-hmm. what I want to
0: have people realize if we're just writing off things as not being possible, we're losing our complete imagination on what could be. And I think uh to your point, like you get people that just kind of look at Puerto Rico status debate in, in a very narrow box. And ultimately, that's not fair for La Isla. Jump
1: Jumping off what you said. Yeah, it's the they, you know, Puerto Rico's, yeah, there's poverty, there's, there's poor, yeah. you can't develop all this. Yeah. And that's true. That's correct. But but then the they create the poverty that that see that's the thing. the colonial regime creates the poverty, creates dependence and then and then makes you poor for decades and a, over a century, creates that poverty, extracts your wealth, mm-hmm. and then, when you want to be free, they use that same poverty as the excuse not to free you so waiting for Puerto Rico. <laughs> to become this, like a, like a Singapore under colonial rule is never going to happen because the point of colonialism is not to create a rich Puerto Rico, it's to extract wealth from Puerto Rico. You know, I see, and I mean, and this is not Puerto Rico, this happens to every colony in the world. Yeah. France did it, Portugal did it, Spain, everyone does it. That, that's mm-hmm. the point of having colony. So the book explains how much wealth and, and gets into the numbers, how much wealth the US takes out and then Puerto Rico's left with pretty much nothing. Mm. And then in that dependency, then we're told, oh, you're too poor to survive on your own. Well, yeah. duh, of course. Yeah. That, that's the point.
0: So let's say Puerto Rico becomes a sovereign country. You know, can you, without giving away too much, you know, because we want people to get the book, um, <laughs> you know, what are some of the economic development strategies that you map out that you propose for a sovereign Puerto Rico? Just
1: being sovereign in and, in and of itself, we would have so much authority and power over the economy that right now we have zero, zero, literally nothing. All mm-hmm. right? Um, first off, we would have access, we would establish and create our own customs, aduanas, our own customs service um, to control what, you know, what comes in and out of Puerto Rico, the ports of entry, just that, All right. Just that, controlling that would give puerto rico i mean billions in revenue just just doing that Mm -hmm. (laughs) without even going to any anything else any other taxes or fees or anything like that so so just doing that and um would be a big economic um you know starter and, and would help puerto rico go forward um the other one is that now we can then attract companies from overseas and from even from the U.S. to come to Puerto Rico, but not not do it like they do now, where it's like, come to Puerto Rico, we'll give you, here's a whole menu of tax exemptions, <laughs> you know, so you come here and pay almost no taxes at all, you know, no, you come to Puerto Rico, pay some taxes, but then you have access to our infrastructure and our talented human resources. Puerto Ricans have talent. Many, com- many companies come to Puerto Rico for the Puerto Ricans, and that's our major resource, our human capital. So, you know, we can then um, ask companies from Japan, obviously U.S., and then Japan, Canada, other European countries, um, China, Korea, Japan, Singapore, or other countries, I'm not saying only those, but to come to Puerto Rico to invest, but under our terms, where we as Puerto Ricanos and Puerto Ricanas can benefit from it. If they're going to be in Puerto Rico, great. They're helping the economy, but they need to pay some taxes, not not be there for free. But then by doing that, they'll have access to the Puerto Rican market. And then from Puerto Rico, they can export to the North American market, Latin America, the Caribbean market. So Puerto Rico can become like an export platform for many companies to, to establish themselves. That's just one. The other one would be internationalization, where then we would reach out and establish our own embassies and consulates around the world. But also, embassies and consulates are not just for passports and visas. They would really, really be used to promote Puerto Rican exports overseas. So we can we can have Boricuas, I mean, our I mean maybe some of the, even the agriculture, but even more um, technology businesses. I mean. So many Puerto Rican business, businesses can then export to Spain, to the European Union. We can develop free trade agreements with those countries or trade trading blocs. Right now, we can't do any of that because we're a colony. So just doing that, we would attract so much business, help Puerto Rican co- uh, companies, and with all these things that we can do. But again, right now as a colony, the people in charge in Puerto Rico do not have that vision. Their vision is just keep asking for federal funds. That's it. Fondo Fondo Federales. That's it. Keep asking for Fondo Federales, you know, maybe a little development here and there, a little growth, but not too much. So they don't want to have a a Puerto Rico that's too developed because then Puerto Ricans will will realize, oh, wow, we can develop ourselves and we don't need the U.S. (laughs) We don't need to be a colony. So they don't want that.
0: There is a couple of... um... Other other uh, strategies that you, you shared in your book that I, I found really interesting, I'd love you to take a deeper dive into, um, but you yeah. specifically talked about the air and the sea, um, that, that those can be streams of revenue uh, for Puerto Rico if it were to be a sovereign country. Can you share a little bit about how Puerto Rico would benefit from, you know, I, I, maybe I'm airspace. articulating this right? Yeah, like airspace, maritime law, like how would Puerto Rico benefit mm-hmm. economically from that?
1: Okay, so I'll do the airspace first and then the maritime. Okay. So with the airspace, so again, many people don't realize this and it's not people's fault. This isn't taught in schools or, you know, but um, so every country has airspace, every territory in the world, airspace, All right? In order, and then when another airline, when a plane flies over in your airspace and lands, when they land at the airport, they have to pay landing fees. Just every plane that lands does this. This isn't just like special planes, Mm -hmm. no every plane. All right. Delta, everyone, Spirit, look, I say every everyone does it. Now those are those are fees, landing fees and facilities fees that they pay to the government. All right. Perfect. Now there are fee other fees called overflight fees that it's when a plane flies over your territory, your airspace, but they don't land. They just keep going to their final destination. Okay. When they're flying in your airspace, they're—it's like they're leasing that space for 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 an hour or two hours, however long they're there, they're leasing it. They're not there for free. This happens to all nations. Sovereign nations can do this. Okay. Now the way they collect fees is different. Some have like um like a flat rate. You know, you you go in, you pay five hundred bucks, boom, you're you're gone like that, or Um, So the plane comes in there and then the fee is based off how many miles they're in and then it keeps going. How many miles? There's different ways of calculating that, whatever. But the main thing is that right now, Puerto Rico, every time a plane lands in Puerto Rico or a plane overflies our airspace, all that money goes to the, the United States. The Federal Aviation Administration, FAA, Puerto Rico sees not a penny of that goes to Puerto Rico. Now, as an independent nation, we would finally have that authority. And based off the calculations that I found online and and FAA documents, and then some projections that I made, um, yeah, with landing fees, we'd be making a few million dollars off of that. But the big one is the overflight fees, where we would be making, if I remember, it was like $124 million a year. And that's money that Puerto Rico doesn't even see right now. All that money is just happens in Puerto Rico, but goes directly to the FAA. Wow. And, and those are things that with sovereignty, we would finally have authority over that stuff, you know? And, um, if, and again, and enrich Puerto Rico use you. I mean, we're, we're Puerto Rico's biggest asset along with its people. It's its geography. And that's what people don't realize. Like, Spain loved Puerto Rico because our great geography. The US invaded Puerto Rico and took it over because of our great geography. So our geography has benefited other people, not Puerto Ricans. You <laughs> see? So with sovereignty, we can finally get use our geography, our great location, in between four continental markets, North America, Europe, South America, and Africa. We're right in the middle. Perfect geography, okay? And when you have perfect geography, you don't need to be as large as Russia or Brazil. And that's another that we can talk about later about about small countries and uh, development.
0: Definitely, Because you use use Singapore as an example, which we'll definitely definitely get into that one. Um, Let's talk about maritime law, though. So like what would how would that how would Puerto Rico uh,
1: benefit from from the seas? The, well, the, from the seas, the well, th- that we're an island. <laughs> yeah, we're con- it, so the we have to look at the sea not as a barrier but as mm-hmm. a bridge. So it's not like it separates us from the other Caribbean islands in the world; it unites us. Mm-hmm. Now, how can we unite with the world? Ships. <laughs> so, but right now, as a colony, Puerto Rico is controlled by the U.S. Maritime Fleet. There's a whole the, the Jones Act. I mean, the whole book could be written just on the Jones Act, but I try to I tackle it. I, I feel enough and educate people on it in the books so that you know exactly what it's about. Basically, it's a, a ship that goes from a U.S. port to another U.S. port, which Puerto Rico, San Juan would be considered, can't be on a foreign ship. It can only be on a U.S. flagship that's made in the U.S. and staffed by American citizens. All these requirements, okay, but then by doing that, that shipping service is the most expensive in the world. So Puerto Rico's forced to use this expensive shipping service, right? And who's making money off this? They are. <laughs> the, 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 these uh, particular um, shipping companies, right? This law is so bad that it even impacts and hurts American businesses. I mean, there are states trying to get rid of the Jones Act but the you know the, the that shipping lobby is so powerful mm-hmm. that doesn't matter if we are a state you know i have congressmen senators and all that you cannot it's really difficult to, to even budge on that
0: when i'm if i'm so, remembering correctly not to interrupt you there javier but i think the jones act was one of the big hang-ups on like aid getting to to puerto rico too like from other countries like you the other if i'm remembering correctly You know, if another country wanted to send something to Puerto Rico, or even just like generally exports, imports, like to your point, U.S. ports, like if France wanted to send Puerto Rico something, they'd have to send the ship to the U.S. They'd have to get put on a U.S. ship, sent over to Puerto Rico, hence (laughs) why, you know, things cost a bit more on the island compared to, you know, what the average salary is for a a worker um, on La Isla.
1: Yeah, exactly. So just with the, yeah, so that impact, especially with Hurricane Maria, that impacted a lot right. of the, the distance. Um, so because of the Jones Act, prices in Puerto Rico, have they go up pretty much about 20% increase, okay? And uh, along with that, there's, with, with all the, un, the, the direct and uh-huh. indirect um, impact that the Jones Act has in Puerto Rico, that impacts it's like we call it the jones act tax it's like a 7.2 percent an additional tax that families like like every family has to pay you know j- just for buying goods eggs or whatever you end up paying all this extra money now with sovereignty we could literally do not would never have to pay that ever so so pretty much there's um it's it's a whole racket shakedown economic shakedown where puerto rico is a great market for them, not because of free trade or because they're the best company, is because they're the only ones we're allowed to go with. <laughs> right. It's a colonial captive market where, you know, they're they're in charge. They set the rules. They set the prices, and and we have to buy, we have to use their services, even though they suck, <laughs> literally, and are super expensive. So what what are you, you going to do? Now, as a sovereign nation, we can then. Either use them if we wanted to, if they're the best price, or get other foreign ships, other shipping services that every other country uses, or and or we can establish our own shipping fleet. And I go that route where Puerto Rico, I explain in the book, Puerto Rico can establish its own like uh, shipping shipping lines, like uh, navieras Oceanicas, and we can literally do a lot of business with that. I mean, Puerto Rico could really make a lot, a lot of money and, and also lower the prices for that. I even, I even find where we can get the boats from. <laughs> I right. even, you know, show how, you know, because I know a lot of, a lot of the statehood they're, they're going to see all these plans and they're going to look for any little, you know, any little thing to, to, you know, oh, you can't do that because of just one little thing, you know? So uh, one big one has been, oh, that, that sounds so nice, but how are you going to pay for that? How are you gonna pay for all those ships? Okay. Always the go-to well,
0: question. Always.
1: Thank you for that. Yes. Because Puerto Rico has money, and then with sovereignty, we'll have more than enough money to pay this. But to but to so you can get a, an example of this. Fortunio and, and and all these other, you know, like like statehood con- 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 contractors and these people, you know, one of them, he made, I think it was like 112 million dollars. During his, you know, time in the government, wow. and you know, it's like publicity stuff, putting up signs, the public relations type of stuff, right? With that money, I found a place online where they have secondhand ships, cargo ships, <laughs> where Puerto Rico could buy and own—not even lease—we could own them, and we would be we would have over forty ships in in Puerto Ricans' hands, uh, and just with that we could have one of the largest shipping fleets in the caribbean so that's what we could have done with all that money 112 million dollars we could we could have done that if we were sovereign but no as a colony under stakeholders all that money went to pay for one guy and his public relations uh, projects Warren, you see you yeah. see they they just there is money but they don't know how to manage it and or they use it for themselves, they don't have, they don't have vision. They don't have any vision of, how can we make Puerto Rico a, a better place, a more, economic, more economically powerful, nothing. It's just corruption, corruption. And, and you know, so, so, so that's what I'm getting at. With sovereignty, it's not just gonna be, we're done with the Jones Act, finally. But then we can do more. We have a whole maritime economy that we can establish, and I, 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 I go into more details in that in the book. With our fishing, we could do fishing projects. I mean, oceanic farming, that's a really, really good one where Puerto Rico could develop, I mean, acres, maritime acres of, of uh, kelp. And with kelp, you can also create ethanol. You see, you, you, we don't have to have acres and acres of corn or soybean. No, we can just have, we can do that with kelp and there's technologies and some places that are doing this now um in terms of energy we can we can really do a lot with maritime energy there's um again tidal energy maritime energies um there's um these floating electrical buoys that you just they just float and they move with the waves every time they move that creates energy look at that That, that's never heard of
0: that before that's amazing
1: we can have fields of this way out in the distance in a specific part of the uh, our territorial sea and also um our econ our our exclusive economic zone which is huge there's a map of it in the book it's huge you know and that's another thing when puerto ricans think that puerto rico is so tiny look at this map puerto rico is there's two puerto ricos territory puerto rico land and then maritime puerto rico is pretty huge if i remember i think portugal can fit inside that that territory, <laughs> that maritime space. It's it's pretty big. So, in that space, we can do so many economic development projects, initiatives. And again, like I'm saying, what I'm saying here, Puerto Rico's economic development agencies, they don't understand that. They don't have any any understanding of this. All they do is just tax, all they do is tax breaks and Beg for federal funds. Yeah. that's it. That's all and,
0: I got. And regressive. To add on to that, and regressive taxes on everyday, yep. you know, working families, working people. Exactly. Um, I will say, you know, just g- going to back to the Jones Act. Uh, we had a uh, uh, two speakers on. It was a uh, Federico de Jesus and Laura Rodriguez. Um, they had written a piece in American Progress uh, that was talking about the different executive actions that the Biden administration could take to. Really invest in kind of bringing Puerto Rico back to prominence, and one of the um one of the arguments they make is waiving the Jones Act for Puerto Rico, and the number that they they threw in there was that uh the Jones Act has shown to cost Puerto Rican consumers one point five billion dollars per year year per yeah. year billion with a B per year mind blowing. That's just money that's just thrown out there for a law for an act law that does not have to be in place. Um so again, I would argue Jones Act is a form of aggressive taxing on everyday uh Boricuas living on La Isla. And again, that's all money that could be kept within the island, but is just literally thrown in the water. You, you, you
1: know what? Just with that with that if Puerto Rico could keep that one point five billion for itself, that is enough for Puerto Rico to establish its own maritime economic shipping lines, I mean all those things they yeah. talked about in the book, just that 1.5 can do all that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but you... right now we go to those shipping companies.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, and that, that's an unfortunate reality for sure. You have a section in the book that's dedicated to this, but I just was just curious to hear your thoughts, you know, what would you say to somebody that reads your book, is hearing these economic strategies you've shared in our conversation today and think, well, oh, if Puerto Rico was its own independent country, you know, what does that mean for like federal aid? If we're, if we're hit by a hurricane or have earthquakes, what does that mean for Social Security, for people that retire? What does it mean for Medicare, Pell Grants? Um, yeah. you know, wh- what, is, wh- what does that mean for, for Puerto Rico? Where does all that go? And how do we account for that
1: missing? Great question. The federal aid that Puerto Rico receives, it's, um, now what I consider federal aid, it's the federal, like what the money is called aportaciones, the money that goes directly from the federal government to the government of Puerto Rico. There's that. Then the, um, the money for the, the food stamps, like the program, El Pan, Asistencia uh, Nutricional, that, and then the Pell Grants those 3 are what most Puerto Ricans would consider ayuda federal like the federal aid other there are other things that the US you know they send money for but it's like to maintain federal agencies and stuff like that that, that you know but and then so it's really the federal aid is 4.6 billion okay which is money just from the US to Puerto Rico now the Social Security and Medicare was together is about twelve billion. And I remind people in the book that that money is not a gift. Puerto Ricans pay into that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know it's money taken from Puerto Rican paychecks that are that, because of the FICA tax that go to the Washington uh, United States, and then they send it right back to you to you know whoever's eligible to get Social security and all and all those programs. But it's Puerto Rican money. They're just sending it right back to you because we, we put into the program. So that's not a gift. So you see, now, stakeholders, they like to combine that and make it seem that if with independence, you would stop receiving your Social Security payments. That is utter lie, total misinformation. You can even go onto the Social Security website, okay? <laughs> and if you, if you receive Social Security, and you move to a foreign country, you just have to tell them where to send the money to. That's it. You can still get the money. The only um, caveat to that is, I think, two or three certain countries that they won't send the money to, but they'll put it like in a separate account for you. Like If you move to Cuba or North Korea or Iran, I, I feel think it's those three. They won't send the money there, but they'll, they'll put it aside for you until you come back to the U.S. or whatever, or go to another country. That's it. But but you see the way they're saying, so in a, in a sovereign Puerto Rico, you would still be receiving your social security payments. That would not be disrupted at all. But, you know, the statehooders, they keep saying that people will, will lose it as a scare tactic. Even though it's totally sort of false and the Social Security Administration website says yeah. otherwise, but they still say that.
0: Well, even so with... People- uh... Even yeah. if the, uh, you know, the scenario you map out in your book were to become a reality, uh, even if people that may be younger that are, are paying into Social Security now, yes, they'd still get those payments, um, but paying into something that takes care of you in retirement once, you know, post-independence, you know, theoretically, Puerto Rico create, could create its own Social its Security own. system, invest in its own pension funds um, for, for union workers. I mean, there, we we don't have to, it's okay to recreate the wheels if there's stuff, you know, it, it, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's okay to recreate the wheel. We just have to be creative enough and courageous enough to want to create something that takes care of our people in a different way than what we've experienced up to this point. So exactly. just because the relation with the, the, the United States may end, that doesn't mean that the idea of social security ends with it. You know, no, no, no. Take, that's a free idea. We, can, we don't we have to pay anybody make it, for that.
1: We can even create our own, you know, I, in the book, I even create, I I yeah. propose the creation of a new one, similar, just similar. And we can even make it better to cover, to even increase the payments or to cover more people Yeah. or, or people don't have to wait till they're, like, you know, like, I don't know, like 60, whatever. They can retire earlier. We can create our own system and make it and try to make it better.
0: Again, I, I told you this before we were we were uh, recording where I was like, man, your book's heavy, man, but there's a lot of really good information in it. And I think it for people that read it, you know, not only do you try to give a backdrop, like to kind of give people a base understanding of how you're tackling something and why you're tackling it from the perspective, that you are. Um, but I think uh, the the other positive there is that you're able to now introduce people, maybe somebody hasn't heard of the Jones Act and they're hearing about it in your book. Next thing you know, they're going on Google, they're doing their own research and realizing just how problematic of a law that is. So I think this is a not only acts as a good roadmap, but also a good gateway for people that want to educate themselves on the mm-hmm. reality that Puerto Rico faces. But um, the the probably another one of the things I really like in your book is that you actually, because I like numbers, um you actually break down uh like a budget of uh how uh the money that comes into an independent puerto rico could be used for different national investments and budget increases and we're not going to go into like every line item uh in this call in this interview because again that's like we're talking about a 10-part episode at that point but um one of the things that i really want to encourage people listening to look into and, and maybe you could say a few words on it javier um, but you had said, you know, with all this money coming in, we can allocate 250 million to increase the budget for, uh, Un Tren Urbano, um, and a national train system. So a Metro yep. rail and like the San Juan area, as well as, uh, a, a train system that goes pretty much, uh, all around the Island, hmm. um. Can you say a bit more on how you kind of developed that that uh that um what would you call it i guess for lack of a better term term train map how how did yep. you like how did you come or how did you come up with that
1: well, I wanted well I already thought i mean you know Puerto Rico and many people you know Puerto Rico used to have a train system it was dismantled in the things in the fifties. Idiots, only only idiots would
0: was dismantle that, the train. was that for? Keep me honest here, Javier. But was that for um, transporting goods, though? Was that like sugarcane, or was that for like consumer use? With somebody? both,
1: both. Okay. There, there, there were train stations, and I mean, I mean, you you could find black and white pictures of people going on know, trains. Train.
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay. But
1: also trains that had like a like you know cartloads of uh, sugarcane mm-hmm, and all mm-hmm. that. But um, so. But, you know, w- without that, then people became dependent on cars, everything just became car-based, you know. And, and people have always wondered, like, oh, it'd be great to have that, you know. Then a Tren Urbano happened in, in the early 2000s. They finally got that going. But I explained in the book all the, all the bad things that happened with that. Like, good initial, good beginning, but then they just screwed it up mm. <laughs> by, by the, again, the statehood corruption. They just I hiked up the prices, made it super expensive. And then the only thing that they created was this like, I think it's like 10 miles, 10 mile line, just one little, that's it. That really doesn't connect the most visited areas of, of San Juan at all. You know, like, wow. I mean, the airport not connected, Old San Juan not connected, most of San Dulce not connect. I mean, come on, really? Like, so... So right now the tren urbano system is functioning. It doesn't have a lot of uh, ridership because of those situations. It's just one line, and it doesn't really connect to many other places, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, so when I developed this economic plan and then how we're going to use the money, I thought, man, we we need to really make a good train system, metro rail in Puerto Rico, but also a national rail system, not not just keep everything in San Juan. So i looked online couldn't really find anything um the little bit that i did find i found that um there were efforts in the 70s to kind of begin some kind of metro rail national rail network but it again <laughs> it died on the desk of statehooder governors <laughs> mm. Ferre, and nothing happened They just let it die right there okay so what then opportunity, man. To, right, I'll do it myself. I studied about, you know, rail systems. I studied more, I read a lot about it, look at many maps. So I wanted to make a train again, like a, like a hypothetical, how could it look? I mean, I'm not saying this is going to be the exact train system, but something. So, so people can imagine how it could look. Um,
0: yeah. Cause I did have an issue with it, Javier, cause you go around the Island and I think maybe like, maybe almost to El Yunque. I think if I'm visualizing it correctly, or maybe a little deeper into the island from the San Juan part, but like the yeah. rest of the in, inner part of the island. No, uh, no, but again, that's like a whole another undertaking. Like riding, dr- building along the coast is a lot easier than building inward. So exactly as a start, I love it. But I was like, man, where's the give me the proof, give me the proposal for, you know, deeper in the no. island, maybe it's in the here, next here. book.
1: It, it really it wasn't I, I i made it go through areas where they, there's already like autopista there you know that type of it's uh, easier with i see what you're saying huge so roads. Can connect you know like, like that mm-hmm. but in the middle of the island it's difficult not because i don't because i don't i don't like Barranquitas. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah be yeah. careful my wife's from there be careful what you say oh, about no, no, baranguitas no <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> I,
1: I it. It, the only reason it's geography it's just the t- the yeah. topography the mountains right. No, I mean anything you could do, anything, of course, you know. Sure. But um, the I made it go to like yeah, like Caguas, and then it goes because I mm-hmm. like that area, and then goes to uh, Salinas and to Ponce, it, it just following that topista that's already there. So we would maybe right off to the side have this elevated train or or you know ground level whatever we could do that. But then um, for other areas that are that don't involve a lot of mountain but there's already a big road like from Arecibo to Utuado there's the route uh, ruta 10 uh, 10 that's already space that's made so you can have the, some, some, you know i mean like a, like a tramvia right? like like a like a light rail mm-hmm. there from Arecibo go all down to Arecibo to Utuado and then from Utuado anyone in that region who wants to go out on the train all you have to do is go to Utuado you don't have to go to Arecibo you don't have to go to uh, uh, Bayamón. Just you just get to the closest part of it, and then that's it. Then you're, you're connected. I also made one go from Aguadilla, Moca to San Sebastian. That that was the other light rail situation. You can. I'm sure you, you, there are other light rails that you can also do. You know, but um, for the interior of the island, I really couldn't. I mean, even for light rail, because some of these roads are so. You know the roads, right? So imagine trying to put a um, a train <laughs> through yes. the, you know, yes. I mean, even having two cars on the road and you're like, ah, la curva, you know, it, mi, it's hard. Yeah, art.
0: mi familia is the San Lorenzo. And man, I tell you, driving up there in the montañas, it, yeah. it, it's, so it's fun on. and not at the same time.
1: <laughs> exactly. Imagine a, even a light rail, not even a whole train, a light rail, that's going to be really difficult. So the reason that happened in the map was really just topography. That that was the reason. But I thought of a way to, even in those situations, those that would generate, even the train, even if it didn't run through there, it would generate it, it, the economy. Because now people can create uh, like a, like Uber businesses, like Carro Público. So you can literally, for example, if you're an Aibonito, if you're some guy with a car in Ay bonito you could start a business of just going from A to Calle to get on the train. Bunch of people that need to go on the train from A or from the surrounding areas don't have to then drive anywhere. They just get to A or wherever town you're from. There's, and so, you know, that would create a whole network of like small businessmen and women that have cars. Almost kind of like an Uber service, you know, because that people would be using the trains and tourists. And that would bring more tourists, because imagine if you're in Hotel San Juan having fun on the beach, but then you want to go to Calle or Barranquitas, you don't have to, you know, some people don't want to drive in Puerto Rico, some tourists don't want to drive, whatever, I get it, it's hard. But you can just take the train to Calle, and then from Calle, you get a carro público, they have a whole line of cars that could be waiting, you get on, boom, and you go where you got to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. So that, that would even though the train wouldn't pass through there, that that specific town, it would generate some uh, economic activity because now that the train is close, you can really develop some some, you know, carro público uh, businesses type of, yeah. like that.
0: No, yeah, definitely. If there's um, not that there should be communities like this in Puerto Rico, but if there's a community that has been divested from, um, you know, having access to the train, especially if they may not own a car. And that can take you to a part of Isla where there are uh job opportunities for you that you can provide for yourself right for your family like you're opening up entire new avenues um but w- uh, again just what a missed opportunity on public transit um and again to the the metro rail you mentioned like man how you get again regressive taxes how are you going to tax people for public transportation how are you going to char- charge them an arm and a leg for public transportation it's mm-hmm. normally not super affluent folks that are taking public transit
1: It's just not exactly no and 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 that map that i made which i'm sure you know it it went viral i mean i put it i put it up on twitter and that thing blew up yeah i mean it it got over a hundred thousand shares i mean it was it was like a lot
0: yeah i mean we'll be sure to put it up on our youtube for people watching we'll put the map up on uh so people can see it too
1: oh yeah yeah yeah. And then also, um, it would even help people with their jobs, like it, with a train system like that. And even with an expanded Tren Urbano, or, mm-hmm. oh, I, 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 I expanded the Tren Urbano to go to all these different areas. You wouldn't have to live in San Juan. You can live in Naranjito. You can live far, a little farther out. And then when you go to work, it's it's easy. It's just get on the train. boom, right, you know? right. So you can do that. And then also for university students. You know, like, um, yes. you know, th- it, this whole train network will connect all the major campuses of Puerto Rico. So you, you don't have to live right there. Or if you do, great. But then when you want to go back in the weekend to see your family or your boyfriend, girlfriend and the other side of the island, fwah! you can, you can mm-hmm. do it super quick. Mm. Exactly.
0: So yeah, and and you know Puerto Rico is not too big. You can drive around the island in a day. So it's not mm-hmm. like we're we're talking about making a train from Maine all the way to California. Like, no, you can, no, you can no, make this happen. It's it's realistic. But um, yeah. it's all about making sure you're making the proper investment. Javier, you do you do do a, like a little itemization of how that money could be properly invested, including a thank, train thank system. You. Last question I have on your book. Um, you you mentioned how uh, one of the criticisms. Against or counter arguments against uh, independence for Puerto Rico comes down to size. That some people will say, ah, oh, well, uh, Puerto Rico's too small to be economically sustainable, at least not economically successful. It's it's just way too small. And you actually uh, compare it to Singapore.
1: Uh, could you share that Singapore example? T- the, the size situation, I mean, really when it comes to international e- economics and countries and and correlations between size and economic success size does not matter <laughs> okay size does not matter at all in fact the the data the 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 economists have written on this subject pretty much concur that size your, the size of your territory has nothing to do with with your prospect of economic success nothing there are many huge countries that have tons of natural resources, minerals and forests and a bunch of stuff, but they're poor. Why that? So that has nothing. That's another political reason. Nothing to do with the size of the territory. Nothing. Um, countries as huge as Brazil, Brazil is humongous. Russia, huge. Yet there are people in both countries that are living in poverty. I mean, you would think everyone there would be. Living it up with such a huge country, right? But then you have the smaller countries who know because they have to. It's not because it's like a choice that you have to position yourself in the international economy and use your geography and your people. See, that's, that's the thing. Your, your, your people is the, is the big resource and your geography. An example is Singapore where it's literally so tiny that the size of Singapore is the same. I, I, I even, in the book, I have a little map, so you can see how big they are. It's the same size as the San Juan metro area. So if you include San Juan, Bayamong, Guaynabo, let me have a map here, uh, Toabaja, Baja, To Alta, Trujillo, Cataño, all together, that's the, that's the size of Singapore. <laughs> and Singapore is a, is a major economic power, literally. I mean, they... They're little, but doesn't matter because size, like I said, size doesn't matter for that. And um, it's really, it's your people, your economic development plans, your, how you interrelate with the other countries, your diplomacy, your international economic diplomacy, the, the, like, you know, Puerto Rico, for example, Puerto Rico could easily negotiate when we get our independence, a free trade agreement with the United States. That'd be great. That'd be great for us. Great for them. Okay. We can also then do a free trade agreement with the United, with the European Union, with Spain and the, and the EU. That would be amazing, and we can also the, 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 that's two of the largest trading blocks in the world that we can have equal access to for our goods and services. And um, and again, Puerto Rico for its size and our geography, where where we are, like I said, right in in the middle of the Atlantic, in in between four continental markets. Close to the Panama Canal, I mean, it's like it's like real estate. Location, location, location. You know, I mean, we have a very good location with with good good size of territory, great maritime area, great talented people. It's just that we're under colonial regime. <laughs> we can't, you know, go go forward or develop entirely to our full potential when you're controlled by another nation and then ruled by local Boricuas who,
0: are, who don't have the vision. Hey there, we want to take a moment to thank our partners, the Puerto Rican Cultural Center of Chicago and the Chicago Independent Media Alliance for their support. This show would not be possible without them. And shout out to our amazing podcast team. Learn more about them and the show by visiting our website, paseomedia.org. Enjoy the rest of the show. Who determines what being Puerto Rican is? What does being Puerto Rican mean? I know everybody has a different, unique answer that's meaningful to them. So I ask you that now, Javier. What does uh, being Puerto Rican mean to you?
1: For me, uh, being Puerto Rican means identifying with Puerto Rico and loving Puerto Rico. Because you can, because some people arrive from Puerto Rico because they weren't born in Puerto Rico, but they are so Boricua. They love Puerto Rico. They identify with Puerto Rico more than some people who are born in Puerto Rico. Their last name is Gonzalez, but they hate being Puerto Rican. You see? So so sometimes, and, and I've I've seen this and with, with those comments, those again and, and I've gotten this myself because I because I was raised in the diaspora, and whenever I give my pro-independence talks or beliefs, whatever. I get attacked by statehooders who, who then try to say that I'm not Boricua, you know, and and, and I'm like, wait, wait. So you, the people who are trying to eliminate and destroy the Puerto Rican nation. So that we become some generic Hispanic American are, are now you're the judge of being Puerto Rican? No, sorry. (laughs) You don't get to do that. You see, it's like, Some people are born in Puerto Rico and thus they're Puerto Rican. Great. Whatever. Even if they're statehood, I would still consider them Puerto Rican. Great. Cool. There are people who are born Boricuas, but they're they're parents and they're born overseas in the U.S. and other countries. But they identify with being Puerto Rican. That for me, you're Boricua. You identify with Puerto Rico, you know, Um, maybe all you have is you're born overseas. You don't even speak Spanish. Your grand your grandfather was the boricua in the situation you have no other boricuas but if you decide you decide to self-identify as boricua who the hell am I to say you're not you know you're Boricua. <laughs> you see what if, like what if a Puerto Rican is born in, in in France and they only speak French but they identify and they love Puerto Rico and they and they and they accept Puerto Rico as their nation they're a boricua you see, I've even heard situations where people who are not even ethnically Boricua, let's say like, I, I think there was this like, um, I forgot the girl's name, but some, some Russian girl who was adopted by Puerto Rican family as a little girl, not like some 25 year old woman, you know, it's like a little girl, a little Russian girl adopted by Boricuas. She lived in Puerto Rico, her whole formative years in Puerto Rico. And she considers herself, and she speaks Boricua Spanish. She's like Boricua now, you know. And she considers herself Boricua. I would too. <laughs> if she considers herself Boricua and she identifies with the Puerto Rican people and the nation, and you were raised in that family, I would say that you're Boricua. If, if, especially if you also say that, you know. Now, what I don't like is when so for political reasons, like what happens with me, just because I'm I'm pro independence. But mira, el, el vive en la diáspora, you know, So I'm not Boricuano. Or some Puerto Ricans again, and I, I hate to say this, but it's usually been at least in my family, the stakeholders who 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 um who try to be like the judge of what's Puerto Rican or not. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, when I was a kid, not not really now, and I like it now. But when I was a kid. I didn't like pasteles. Like the, the smell of it just I just didn't like it. So so yeah. imagine. So I'm like, you know, I'm growing up in Orlando, New York. Mm-hmm. I come back to Puerto Rico on vacation. Somebody had a pastel somewhere. Javier, tú quieres pastel? Like, no, I, I don't like how it smells. Ay, tú no eres boricua. No. You're not yeah. boricua now. And mm-hmm. I'm like, what the hell? Cuz I don't like a I don't like the smell of a certain food. Now I'm not boricua. So, you see? It, it gets, and many of them would say this knowing that I was pro-independence. Mm. So they're always trying to find any little thing to negate my Puerto Rican identity. It could be food or musica or like, they'd be like, you? do you know this singer? Blah, blah, blah. They'll say some random name. I don't know who that is. I tu no boricua. No, that, that, you don't get to say that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care if you're born in France, in Canada in the middle of the ocean in a boat I don't care if you identify with Puerto Rico and you love Puerto Rico and you want to see the best for Puerto Rico you're Boricua that that for me is
0: I appreciate that well and, and speaking of getting in contact with you for anybody that wants to stay up to date with what you have going on how can people do that like like so like social media channels website you know how can people pick up the book give us all the things how can they keep up with you
1: Good. Thank you. Uh so the easiest way, I mean, I'm I'm not gonna give you my personal email address. No, no.
0: <laughs> <laughs> give <laughs> me like, your, a, your home phone number.
1: Uh, <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> or here's my phone number. No, 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 but please, if someone wants to get in contact with me on Twitter, I mean on Facebook, Javier Hernandez, you, know, you can find me pretty easy. And on Twitter, it's um, you know, like the, the at symbol, then Brexit book. That's it. You'll find me there. It's Javier Hernandez. Um, there's also prexitbook.com. That's just the website where I, I put up a lot of the book information, some info like some some of my bio stuff, some of the art that I've done for like flag designs and stuff. Um, but I mean, really, just with that, I mean, you can get in contact with me. The easiest way is through Twitter. I, I check that frequently throughout the day. Um, you can just DM me like that if anything particular. I mean, seriously, even if you're reading the book and you have any question like, why did he do this? Why did he mention this? Anything, please go on Twitter and ask me, all right? I'm not some ivory tower person who only answers one out of every 20,000 messages. I'll, I'll attempt to answer your message as soon as I can.
0: Awesome. Okay. Author Javier Hernandez, thank you so much for being on the Paseo podcast. Thank you. now it's time for the part of the show where we share some of the latest puerto rican news headlines this isn't every headline so if we missed something let us know at podcast at gmail.com or at paseo on instagram twitter or facebook i'm flying solo today so here's what's on my list first i wanted to note two significant moments in puerto rico's history this past monday was the 85th anniversary of the ponce massacre where over 200 unarmed puerto ricans were seriously wounded in ponce on palm sunday march 21st 1937 dozens were maimed for life 17 were killed including a woman and a seven-year-old girl check out our twitter and ig to learn more we posted a multi-slide history of what happened before on and after that day and this past tuesday was the 149th anniversary of the abolition of slavery in puerto rico around 30,000 black men and women enslaved in puerto rico were freed after the approval of a law in the courts of Spain on March 22nd, 1873. So that social transition was not automatic though, and it was unfairly required that enslaved folks uh, should work three additional years by contract until fully integrated into civilian life. It's said that some 8,000 freed people did not pay attention to the so-called contract since they understood that they were already free since March 22nd. I should also say that against all opposition and the prevailing racism of the time, we had committed Puerto Rican abolitionists who defended the dignity of enslaved people against injustice. Uh, A few of those people, not everybody, but a few of them that you should read up on, uh, Segundo Ruiz Belvis, Jose Juliano Costa, and Francisco Mariano Quinones worked together on the project for the abolition of slavery in Puerto Rico, and together they presented it before the general courts in Spain. Ramon Emiterio Patanzas, he spread the Ten Commandments of Freemen, whose first commandment was abolition of slavery. Interestingly enough, both Patances and Ruiz Belvis had an abolitionist secret society whose purpose was the liberation of hundreds of children enslaved in the baptismal font, because that was, as we heard in our episode on the Black Code, one of the few ways, if not the only way, for a person to be uh, taken away from slavery, Uh, that being they uh, becoming baptized. Um, and of course this caught the attention of the Spanish government in Puerto Rico on several several occasions. Um, but definitely uh, do some research. Uh, we don't want to forget these people's names that uh, again stood up against a ton of opposition and the racism of the time. Now some headlines. Number one, Puerto Rico's debt plan went into effect last week, March 15th amid public backlash. Latino rebels reported that the debt restructuring plan, which was put forth by the U.S. imposed Financial Oversight Board and approved by the chief judge of the U.S. District Court of the Southern District of New York, cut Puerto Rico's debt from $33 billion to $7.4 billion, but the plan necessitated an immediate $7 billion cash payout to bondholders who paid cents on the dollar for the bonds, plus a $10 billion bond swap. So while there has been an intense public pressure, which led to the the worst parts uh, of this plan being left out of it, many still view it as only leading Puerto Rico further into ruin through ever-expanding budget cuts and austerity measures. In our next episode, we're going to have a couple of guests on to take a deeper dive into what this new debt restructuring plan is, auditing Puerto Rico's debt, and what the plan means for Puerto Rico's future. Number two, a year after being reintroduced in the U.S. House and Senate, both the Puerto Rico statehood bill and Puerto Rico self-determination bill look to really just die in the current Congress. Latino rebels quoted a House aide involved in whipping votes for the statehood for Puerto Rico bill on this topic, and they were quoted as saying, self-determination is effed. They both are. We've tried to get the votes for statehood, but they just aren't there. It's really as simple as that. End quote there is a fair amount of support in the puerto rican community for both bills from what i can see but only one the statehood bill has had over one million dollars spent on lobbyists for the puerto rico statehood council in 2021 so very surprising to see that it actually hasn't gone further in congress given the amount of money poured into its passage number three daddy yankee is retiring from music after 32 years in the music industry On March 20th, the 45-year-old reggaeton pioneer announced the news in an emotional video message saying his career has been a marathon, but he finally sees the finish line. Along with his retirement news, Daddy Yankee announced his upcoming album, Legend Daddy. The name is very on brand for Daddy Yankee. Uh, And he announced an accompanying tour, La Ultima Vuelta World Tour. If you're interested in listening to Legend Daddy, it actually drops today. We're recording this before the album drops, but it's scheduled to drop on March 24th, which is ideally when you're listening to this and his tour is going to run from August 10th to December 10th. Number four and the last piece of news for today, Residente dropped a new music video for his single, This Is Not America. In the music video, Residente questions whether the story of the Americas is merely one of inescapable chaos and violence or whether the story of the Americas is one of resistance. That's all I have for now. In our next episode, we sit down with academics Marisol Lebron and Sarah Molinari to discuss Puerto Rico's new debt restructuring plan and their work with Puerto Rico Syllabus, a digital humanities project about the Puerto Rican debt crisis. While you wait, give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or whatever the top rating is on the app you're listening to this on. It really helps other people find the show. Leaving a positive comment always helps too. See you in two weeks. Cuídate.